just need to make a quick announcement and invite everyone to uh, an event. As some of you know, some of you don't know, a dear friend of ours, uh, Larry Klaproth, passed away this last week. Um, he was with us from the beginning of church planning. I think when there was five of us, he was the one pulling out the projector and the, um, and the keyboard and the, I'm sorry, and the computer and um, just started kind of the production ministry. You can put up that slide. And uh, he had a brain aneurysm about six weeks ago and um, had surgery on it. And it was doing okay. It was kind of 50-50 the whole way and had a number of strokes. And the last stroke um, basically uh, killed him. So um, we're having a memorial service to celebrate Larry's life. He was a man that we can celebrate. I don't know if I've met a guy who's more awkward and uh, more loving and, and more... He'd piss you off, excuse me, um, but he would warm your heart. He was the first to bring my wife and I uh, soup when she was sick. Um, he's kind of the guy that he is, and I know that many of us know him well. Some of us don't, but we are going to celebrate him next Saturday. Um, we're having a memorial service at Long Beach Christian Fellowship. That's where we do our third Wednesdays, followed by a potluck, of course, because he was a fan of the potluck at the Cho's house. Um, the address is there. This will be on our website, and we'll send it out in an email. Um, but I want to invite all of you to come. Um, for those of you that know him, and if you didn't know him, this is what it means to be family. Um, but just go back real quick. One of the things that the, I wanted to let you know is that the family said, out of respect for, for, for Larry, do not wear black or wear anything fancy. Larry was a guy that wore flip-flops, jeans, and so we're going to celebrate him by that too. So bright colors, it's going to be a celebration. We're going to sing songs, we're going to share stories, and we're going to celebrate Larry. So I bring that to you. If it's news to you, um, I'm sorry you're hearing it this way. But uh, this, this is what it means to be family. And it's so hard, I think, oftentimes the church has been run by um, something's going on. There's something like brewing back here. Do you hear that? Sorry. I feel like something's going to blow, blow up right now. Hey, le- do you hear that? Can someone shut that off real quick? Is it outside? Okay, sorry. Sorry for the distraction. We'll check it out. Sounds like that thing right there. Yes. Not outside. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so um, for us, the garden, we started, um, we officially launched two years ago out of Rock Harbor today. Um, Next year will be our two-year anniversary. Two years ago, uh, there's probably 50 of us originally in this whole journey, maybe a little more, uh, two years ago, setting out to um, dream about what it will look like for us to be a church for the city. Um, We had you know, um, this idea that we could be a community that loved well, a community that lived on mission together, that that followed Jesus, that didn't just show up on Sundays, but that saw this tangible expression of God in the city, in the neighborhoods we lived in. We just had these these kind of sessions where we would dream out loud, those that were in the beginning with the leadership team. And we just dreamed about a a church that, that wasn't just reacting to other churches, but was just really authentically trying to express themselves. Uh, Contextually in the city, but just practically with the people that would show up. And um, 
So we wanted to follow Jesus. We wanted to be sensitive and listen to the Holy Spirit. And we wanted to be family. And I think many of us that come from the church, we've been harmed by the church or we've grown up in these large mega churches. And the idea of community and, and a sense of, of belonging is not necessarily always there. And it wasn't that we were responding to say, let's go smaller because that's, that's better. But we just said, when we, when we do go, if we grow, let's keep the, the values there. Let's keep the DNA there. And part of our DNA is family. And so as a church, we want to grieve the loss of a dear friend and leader in our church, Larry. And so that's going to happen next Saturday. Um, but as a family, once a year we come together and we'll talk about finances. So we're, we're talking today about the state of the church. Um, but then I have, a, I have kind of a short message. So it's like kind of in two parts. So give me some time. The first half is going to be boring unless you really like numbers. Um, the second half, which some of us do. So I don't want to say that's a bad thing. The second half will be about kind of vision where we kind of settled in on some things for the coming season. And I won't put a timeline and say this year. It might, it's going to be way longer than that. But um, when we set out, you know, I, I, was, I was young. My wife and I were young. All of us were young. <laughs> um, and we, we just had this, this idea of becoming this, this church that looked at the text and said, you know, what would it look like if we, we really lived this stuff out? And if we got people, I mean, if people came, if they came, like, what would that look like if more people come? And if we could just dream of the city being different and where there's problems, where there's cracks, where there's people hurting, could we come and help and make a tangible difference in that? And that, that was kind of our story. And so we never dreamed of building a church. We dreamt of being the church. And we, we didn't talk about budgets, we, I mean, especially me. We didn't talk about buildings. We didn't talk about staff. We didn't talk about liability insurance and children's and nurseries and all the things that come along as you gather and as you grow and as you become this uh, 21st century church. Things that you have to have that are good. They're not bad in themselves. You have to have structures in these things and budgets and finances and talks and all of that stuff. But that wasn't the dream at first. That was a byproduct of us Fulfilling the mission God called us to. And so for Alex and I, um, my wife's name is Alex, in case you don't know that. She's, um, when we, moved, we moved here from, Long, uh, from Newport Beach, and we, we, we went to school there. We lived really close to the beach, which you could surf. I mean, we had all of our friends living around us. We had a very comfortable uh, two-bedroom apartment right next to the best coffee shop in Newport, um, which is a big deal for a guy like me. Um, we had just this, this, I had this amazing job at Rock Harbor. I had a, a cubicle with my name tag. I had a business card. I had retirement. I had security. They weren't going anywhere. I had longevity there. I had so much potential to, to grow. And, but then we heard this calling and it was just like this dang virus that we couldn't say no to. And it wasn't just dreaming and questioning. It was well, well, we have to do this. We, we, it became, the talks became, well, we just got to go. We got to, we got to try. Even if we fall on our face, even if we fail at risking, we have to be obedient to what God's asked us. And so we left all of that. And it was, it was like being called to Africa for us. Um, it was not, a, this city, we didn't have a lot of friends in the city when we moved here. We didn't know a lot of people. All of our friends did, that we wanted to come didn't come. And we, we risked, leaving this job, not knowing if we'd have a paycheck in a year, um, not knowing if anyone would come along for this, this journey, this crazy ride called church planning that, that is more than just starting a business. It's, it's so much more than that. It's bringing people to get the heart of Jesus and, and not, you know, it's not, it's not 
it's, it's compelling them to, to be who they're supposed to be in Christ. And, and it's, just, it's just this phenomenal thing. It's diverse. The city was crazy. And, and my wife and I, we came and we risked. But we weren't the only ones risking. A group of us that left Rock Harbor, they, they came with us. And they were giving up Mike Erie, and, um, who was a great teacher. They were giving up comfortable youth services. They were giving up you know, air conditioning at the time. We didn't have AC at our old building. They were giving up you know, um, uh, just every, everything dialed in. They were giving up what they've, they learned. And they were giving up, some of them, their, their homes in New, Newport and Costa Mesa and Irvine and coming to a new city. They were giving up jobs. Literally, people were just saying, yeah, we're in. And for whatever it looks like, we're going we're gonna to build this together. And what we realized is that in the midst of risk and in the midst of being obedient, we discovered an identity in the city. And that's where the garden came from. This church was formed because it wasn't just me or my wife. It was because a group of people said, hey, we want to we be the church in this city. Let's do it together. And what we've discovered is every time we come to a cross point or a crossroads where, where we have to choose risk or comfort and security, when we choose risk, God meets us over and abundantly. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I wonder if you haven't been risking enough yet. Just throwing that out there. But that's where we are. And so, um, anyways, by way of introduction, that was not planned. That was just me rattling off some stuff. Um, I just want to give you an update on our finances and talk about what we've done. So every year, our ministry leaders, which are volunteers that lead various ministries like Community Garden, um, like um, Community Groups Prayer, Women's Ministries, uh, the Reach Ministries, India, um, Youth, Children's, Nursery, uh, a bunch of other ministries that we have going on. And I missed them. I'm sorry. Teaching and worship and celebration. And we get together with our elders who are the governing and spiritual leaders of our church. We're, we're led by a group of elders. And we get together with some of our staff. We actually have some part-time staff members. I'm the only full-time staff member at this time at this church. But we have some other people that are, are, are getting um, paychecks to serve our church and support the ministries that are happening and lead them. Um, and that's what happens as you grow and as you get budgets and as, as we, we add more things. It's just what we do in a good way. And I, I believe personally that people are the greatest investment. Investing in people is the greatest thing we can do as a church. Um, ministry is about relationships. But every year we get together and we do a ministry plan session. We just say, uh, and this year, here's some of the stuff we, I could just show you. It was just like fun. We like talked about our weaknesses, which is really long. This is a list of weak. Don't read them. Um, we, we talked about our weaknesses. Jason, you'll have to move this. Um, we talked about what was in our hand and and... You know, as strengths for a church, what, 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 what were we doing well? And that list is a lot shorter. And uh, we talked about, hey, um, if we, we, we drew pictures, I did, of stuff. Like, what is God doing? And there's like this circle guy and this bigger circle and this kind of a city with, with birds flying. Um, <laughs> this was two days of note-taking, by the way. And uh, then we talked about our dreams. If we could do anything what would you do? And it was like, fulfill the, the mission of this street. Let's, let's really dump our church onto that one street because it's worth it. And, and we, I had everyone that was there. There's probably 30 people in this meeting in our tiny little office. And uh, I had them, all right, just take some dots. The green means go. The red means don't do it at all. And we just put these dots everywhere. And we kind of figured out, okay, in the midst of plurality, because all of us have the capacity to hear God's voice, right? 
It doesn't take a guy like Moses to come up from the mountain and come back and just give us the vision for the new year. It would be much easier for me to lead this church that way. I tell you the truth, I would much rather do that. But God spoke to me early on and said, if you trust me, you'll trust the voice from, from your friends. And so we, we do it together. We, we develop vision together. And so we landed on a few things and then we try to articulate them. So that's what this whole process is about. So I'm going to talk about finances. Then I'm going to talk about one thing that we're calling our whole church to. And next week we'll talk about the second thing, which I'm most excited about. Um, but both of them are good. So there's two things, kind of categories. Does that make sense? You with me on that? So finances, here we go. You can put that thing up. Nobody's going to be able to read it from there. Um, this will be on the website. We didn't want to print it out because we didn't want to waste paper. But this is on the website and we're going to email it to you. But uh, one of our graphic designers and volunteers put this together. It's, it should be in like Good Magazine. It's such a good graphic. But this will tell you the details of our budget from last year and the details of our budget for this coming year. So if you recall last year, I came here in July. We, our fiscal year is July to June. Um, and so we just started our fiscal year three months ago. But last year I came um, and we had Wendy Cho who was heading up our financial oversight team. And we said, hey, uh, we're coming off of Rock Harbor support. So in, in less than a year, the garden became self-sustaining. It had to become self-sustaining, which is a, an anomaly for church planning. Um, asked, most churches take three to five years to become completely self-sustaining. We did it in less than a year which is a sign of God's provision. Yeah, that is applaud. We're going to need to applaud on some of this. Um, so last year I said, hey, here's what we need. Like just, this is what will get us through and this, will, this, is, um, this is what we, went, we need. So I brought, we brought a budget of about $210,000. $210,000 for our first year. This is what we were projecting. If God blessed us, we can get there and that will keep us afloat. And uh, so I came and I, we did that. And that's including ministry budgets and all the stuff, which I'll break down in a second. And that's including giving 10% away. We said, as a church, we want to discipline ourselves in generosity. It's so easy to, to, to count on what we can do by ourselves. But we need to discipline ourselves in risk and faith. And that's what the First Fruits did. We did that from the beginning. Um, but here's kind of the breakdown. So I said, hey, we need 210000 Um what happened is you guys started giving way more than what we asked for. And so our budget increased. It went from 210 and by the end of the year, it was around 250000 um, So it, it grew by 40000 um, But we, we brought in a total, and it's on there, a total of $273,000. Our first year, we wanted 210 and we brought in 273000 That's amazing. Yeah, and so... For those of us that understand math, that's a lot more than what we were anticipating. <laughs> um, and where did, where did that money go? Okay, so just real quick, I want you guys to, to grasp how we operate. This is an open book. We're not trying to hide anything. You can ask questions. You can email us. We would love to let you know how we spend our finances. This is something that we're proud to say is above reproach. We have so much accountability. Um, we have a great system. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, and I think that's why God has blessed us, to be completely honest. But so we, we had 273000 Where did that money go? 154000 went to operating our church. So payroll, benefits. It went to, um, uh, where's the list? It says right there. Uh, human resources, accounting, financing, um, uh, uh, the, the payroll company that we pay, everything to keep things going. There's a lot. I didn't know that at all. And if I did, I probably wouldn't have planted a church. The details are insane. Um, at 13%, which was about uh, 37000 went to Cohiba Nightclub. It went to our office space um, that we got last year, October. Uh, for the first two years, 
I was writing messages in my laundry room, which is about, I don't know, 20 square feet. And uh, we have a laundry thing here. And if you've come to my house, we have a one bedroom. And um, I was so thankful for this little tiny nook, but I would put a board up because the, the space wasn't big enough for my computer. So I'd stick a board up and bring a chair. And I couldn't get out of the chair without like stepping out because it was so tight. But I, we, we did all of our meetings in our little tiny one bedroom and then other people's houses and, and Starbucks and portfolio. And then by the grace of God, we're like, all right, we're going to risk and get an office. And we've just filled that office with people and stuff and all of that. But anyways, so uh, we have office space, furniture, stuff like that, um, which I built the furniture in case you were wondering. If you've been to our office, I, I thought it would be cheaper and easier. And I spent my entire life one week building office furniture. Don't ever do that. Go to Ikea for the love of God. Um, sorry, I don't know why I said that. Um, uh, 13% uh, went to um, ministries. So we, we, you know, we were doing community groups, lead and teaching, Fifth Street Garden, outreach, the Holy Spirit Conference, um, children's and youth, celebration gatherings, nursery, worship team, reach and pastoral care and counseling. 13% went to all of that. That had to do with people getting um, blessed by that money. And then another 10%, uh, 9.6 technically went to First Fruits. And I love this. We gave away $26,000 as a church last year. Our first year, 26000 away. And check this out. Here's the list. Um, do you have that list? Okay, you don't have it. I'll read it out. Um, we gave to Powerhouse Ministries in Mexico, South Africa missions called Tapestry Homes. We gave to Long Beach Church Plants, two different ones. We gave to Hidden with Christ Ministries, a ministry that's uh, impacting Tanzania. We gave to the Rescue Mission. We gave to a, a church planting and leadership network called Church Resource Ministries. Um, we gave to a, a local nonprofit that was supporting at-risk youth. We gave to individual missionaries to India, Thailand, South Africa, Costa Rica, Afghanistan, Tanzania, Ireland, just to name a few. We gave to the Voice of Martyrs. We gave Bibles to places where it was illegal. Um, we gave to Kingdom Causes, another local community development program. We supported a missionary who uh, started We Love Long Beach, Scott Jones. He's a friend um, of our church, and he's doing some amazing things, but we supported him locally as a missionary. We said, hey, what you're doing is building bridges to neighborhoods. We want to support what you're up to. Um, no other church except for Long Beach Christian Fellowship got behind him, by the way, in Long Beach. They couldn't see the vision. And he's doing some amazing things. We're going to partner more with him um, in the future and what Kingdom Causes is doing. We gave to 10 individuals who couldn't afford counseling and needed it. We gave to uh, Christmas back baskets to homeless families. We paid rent, utilities, outstanding bills for those in our community that couldn't afford rent or their utilities or outstanding bills. We gave to Harvest India. We gave um, lunches so that all the children at Precious Lamb could have a lunch at Disneyland. It's so cool. And we gave to Vision 360, a church planning organization that we partner with in the city that's goal is to plant 50 new churches in the next five years in Long Beach. $26,000 built the kingdom of God because of your generosity. Period. Right? Is that amazing? This is your story. Um, and so, uh, this year, just a quick kind of let you know. So, there's the, the inner circles last year, the outer circles this year. We've increased our budget to $310,000. That's only a 13% increase from what we actually brought in last year. It's a 24% increase to uh, what our last budget was, which was at $250,000. And it's a 33% increase from last year in July. 
Um, so we, we figured, hey, we want to risk about 13%. Um, and, and I'll tell you, it's been crazy because um, in the last three months of our first quarter, we've brought way over that amount, like way over. Like um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say like we need to start bringing in 25000 a month just average throughout the year. I think we brought in 30 each month on average. It's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, look around and look at who's giving. Look at, it's, it's, and you know, the other thing that's really cool, I just seen to celebrate this. Most churches just have a few, like 14% supporting 85% of the budget. That's not the case for us. It's being carried by, by, by students that give regularly, by single moms that don't have enough, but they just say, I, I got to participate in what's happening, by, um, by, by families. It's being supported by a whole community of people. And that's amazing. That is, the, that is the type of church we've set out to build. And that's what we're doing. So the celebration is we're doing a great job. We're moving forward. Uh, the increase is going to operations. We, we hired a part-time staff. Jamie, who's leading worship, he also leads our community groups and our, our communications. He's part-time. Um, but we're, we're going to need some extra staff this year. We're growing. I don't know if you noticed, but we have a lot more families and kids. We need some, we need some support for youth and children's workers. We, we need some operations. So some of that's going there. It's done deal. We're going to move that way. But also we want, we've, we're increasing our ministries by 11,000. So we're getting more away. And we're going to keep the 10%. Oh, I forgot to say. Last year we put in $20,000 into reserves. Un, un, unplanned. Last year we put in $20,000 into our savings. And if you study Dave Ramsey, that's a good thing. Um, savings is good. And so that's going to free us up as we make decisions for this next year. Okay. Oh, I'm done with this. Um, what does all this mean? First of all, it's your story. You have to celebrate it. If you've been coming and you've been giving and you've been participating, good Lord, thank you. You are carrying a significant ministry in the city. I want you to know that city officials know about the garden and our reputation is amazing. Our reputation with neighbors is amazing. With other churches is amazing. God's given us favor in the city and it's because of generosity, it's because of our attitude, it's because of our hearts. And so this is your story, it's not, it's not mine, it's all of our stories. For, thank you for participating and giving. The second thing, if you're, you have, if you're new, we want to invite you into the story. We've got a whole lot of stuff we're going to do that, you know, throughout our life as a church. So join in, participate. Um, the third thing is, can you pray for us? Uh, when it comes to finances, this is the type of guy I am. I, just, I constantly pray, like, Lord, just... Let's just, let's just have tons of money that we can give away. If you know me, and I say this without joking, and my wife kills me for it, my goal is by the time we're, we're growing, as we continue, is to get 50% of all of our money goes away. That's, it's going to take a lot of generosity and a lot of great staff and operations to make that happen, but that's the goal. I think this city and, and, and the world needs an example of what it means to use power for empowerment. Amen? Um, the fourth thing is, let's just continue to give generously. I don't, need to, I don't need to tell you. You guys are already doing it. We're doing it. My wife and I, we, we give regularly, and it's hard. But you know what? We've been learning a lot. We're not just giving. I want to call you not just to give to the church, if this is your church, but give to your neighbors who are in need. Some guy might need $20. Give it away. Um, give to those who ask. And may we continue to be a witness in a society of consumerism and overabundance. And may you reveal the resurrected Messiah with the way you use your debit card. This year, let's think about living radically generous. Cool? All right. So that's it. If you have more questions, uh, you can email info at the garden. LB. We'll answer them. But that's that. You can get rid of that.
Can we just get a round of applause? Great job. Thank you. Um, this stuff is just, it's, it's important. And I used to think it was unimportant, but I see God show up more often in the practical dynamics of our church, in the way we, we literally at our elder meeting, as we, as we approve the budgets, because what we have is we have like 15 different pe- uh, teams come and ask for money for ministries and budgets. And we'll, we'll bring them all together, we'll read them all, we'll pray together, we'll pray over it, we'll, we'll literally to go line by line through all these different budgets saying, okay, what is God saying yes to, what's He not? And it's just this grueling, arduous process, but it's, it's God-giving and it's delightful and it's, it's amazing. So, cool? Sorry that took so long. Now, I've got about 13 minutes. Um, so, I showed you this. I told you about our ministry plans. This year, we've landed on two things, and it's two, two simple topics, community and city. If you want to know what the garden's about, it's about community and city. And so the next two days, we're going to talk about this. Uh, can we just go... We want to focus part of our year, we want to focus our season on becoming a healthy community. Internally, what does it look like for us to be a healthy community? And then also, next week I'll talk about what it means for us to tr- help transform the city with God. Okay, how do we partner in the renewal of all things practically as a whole church? Go to Acts chapter 2. I love Acts. I'm just going to give you a couple of texts. We'll land, we'll probably uh, take communion and, and end in some prayer. Um, are you guys with me? Are we awake? Was that good? Sorry if I bored you. I think that's exciting. Um, I get bored with the number th- numbers thing. My wife does our budget and stuff, and I just listen to her. Um, so, anyways, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke um, wrote, he's the author of Acts. Luke is also the author of Luke, in case you were wondering. Um, yes, he is. He wrote two books. And uh, this, this is the second part of Luke. Uh, it's a continuation. It's a story of the church. And I love Luke because he's a brilliant writer. And he has these clever kind of uh, uh, writing styles. And and Acts chapter 2, verse 42, comes uh, right after Jesus ascends into heaven. He tells that the people that are following Jesus, wait in Jerusalem, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, you'll become witnesses to all over. And um, they do. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. And it's it's just crazy. They speak in different languages. 3,000 people are saved and baptized. And then then Luke writes this little snapshot, which he does also in Acts chapter 4. But it's... I would describe it like this. It's a snapshot of telling you kind of what's happening when the church explodes. So the church is born, and they don't have a Bible. They don't have this curriculum for ten ways to lead a healthy church. They they don't even know what to do except being, being led by the Holy Spirit and coming together. And Luke gives you this snapshot. And what I love about this is if he was a director today... I, and this might not be helpful for you, but this is so helpful for me. I see it like this. So here's the movies going on, and this is like the ending scene. And there's all these characters. You know how you have like you know the cross of characters, like some they shouldn't connect, but they connect. And so I just see this: a director kind of is zooming in right here, and it's like two couples at a meal eating, right? And then and then you just pull back, and as he pans out, there's another character talking to a group of people over here. There's a car accident over here, and you just pull out, and you just see like everything that's going on. Does that make sense? Are we more conceptual? Okay, that's what Luke's doing in this. Maybe that doesn't help you. Um, it says this, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many, the one, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together glad 
and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and, and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Luke gives you a snapshot. This is what's happening in the first church. People are, are gathering and devoting themselves to teaching, to this word called fellowship. They're eating meals together. They're, they're practicing what Jesus told them to, to remember him when they broke bread and drank wine. They're... they're um, they're, uh, they're praying together. There's, there's signs and wonders, demonstration of the gospel. There's uh, people are, are, that have stuff are selling their stuff to share with those that don't have enough. Um, they're, 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 they're getting together on a regular basis. They're not just meeting in homes, but they're also meeting in temple courts. They're having larger gatherings, um, which, is, which is seen and proven. There are buildings in the 4th century that could fit, some say, 5,000 Christians. There are some buildings that had 100 seats and, and a baptism. I mean, that, they just started doing that. They were practicing the synagogue model of gathering, temple courts and in homes. Uh, they were praising God. They were having favor. God was adding to their number. I mean, as a church planner and as, as someone that starts off a church, you go to these, this, this text, you go to Acts, and you're like, yes, this is what it's about. This is what we're going to be. We want to have food together. We want to fellowship I want to see signs and wonders. I mean, this, this is just exciting. They have no idea what to do. They just get together and they do this stuff. Um, and it's powerful. I mean, there's a, there's a sociologist named Rodney Stark. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And in this book, he wasn't a Christian in his research, but he, he wants to know, he wants to answer the question, how did this marginalized community of about a thousand people in the first century, when Jesus died, become a movement that took over half of an empire of about 30 million people in 300 years. That's what happened with the Christian movement. How did it happen with persecution? No buildings, no, no real education. So he goes and, and researches this. He ends up becoming a Christian in the process. In the book, The Rise of Christianity. But he said this. He, said, he gave a lot of reasons for why it happened. But, but what he said... Um, one of the reasons he noted, because early historians were taking note of this, this, this cult movement called Christianity. And they were saying this, they noticed, they said, the, uh, Christians lived radically different. And I'm paraphrasing. But he said, um, people looking from the outside into the Christian community lived in such a way that the outsiders wanted to be like the Christians. How did the Christian movement happen? The Christians lived such compelling lives that people on the outside wanted to be like them. Is that crazy? The world wanted to be like the Christians. They, they loved in a way that took care of the poor, that took care of the orphans. They were the first ones to start hospitals and all of these things. And that's because the Christian community, all they could do is do what Jesus was doing and the outsiders looking in wanted a piece of that. That's crazy to me. And, and, and so, anyways, that's, that's just a, a, an interesting statement that the sociologist who wasn't a Christian inevitably lands on that perspective that the Christians lived radically different than the world. And this word I wanted to focus in on just briefly is this word fellowship. Um, it's, it's a Greek word for koinonia, and we always think, oh, it's what happens when we come early and grab coffee and talk to people. Or it's what happens when you go after, you're hanging out with some Christians and you eat food after church. But fellowship is not just, that's not just fellowship. In fact, fellowship would be defined biblically as spirit-filled people living on mission together. The only way you can experience koinonia is if you're a group of Christians filled with the Holy Spirit living on mission together. That's the community we're called to. That's the type of community that we're called to. Go to John um, uh, chapter 13. 
if we could become the kind of community that reveals God by the way we live, by being filled with the Spirit, serving on mission. It's funny because, side note, John 17, um, go to John 13. Jesus prays his last prayer in the book of John. And he says, uh, Father, I pray that all believers may be one as you and I are one. Have you read that before, John 17? That they may be one. The word is a Greek word for a Hebrew counterpart called ekad. That they may be a Hebrew word, ekad, as we are one. This is just a really cool point, and this isn't in my sermon. But to take this, I don't know if I'll do it at 11. Ekad is the Hebrew word for oneness made up of several parts or members. It was used throughout the entire Old Testament to describe God in the Old Testament by the Jews. If you read the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, you can go there. Every time a Jewish person would go to synagogue, they would stand, hold their hands up, and say the Shema. Every time they would go to bed, they would say the Shema. Every time they would wake up, they have dinner, they would say the Shema. This was a declaration of allegiance, and the Shema was um, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Oneness made up of several parts. When Jesus prays for us, he says that they, we may become, we may be one, a oneness made up of several parts, just as God. In other words, that they may live in a way that reveals God's Trinitarian perspective, God's Trinitarian nature, God's reality of existence. The way they live reveals God. Right? That's what he says. Do you get that? Are we good? Some heads? John 13 says this, and I love this, and I just want to make this last point to say this is where this whole heart of community is coming from. Um, I don't think I need to make a case for it, but Jesus, it says in verse uh, 1, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So that he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Did you catch what it says? That Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Could you imagine this moment in Jesus' ministry? He recognizes that he came from God. He's going back to God. And God gives him all power and authority at his fingertips. And Jesus, having the power of the universe in his hands, takes off his clothes, gets on his knees, and washes his disciples' feet. He takes power and uses it to empower. He takes power and he uses it to serve. He takes power and he sacrifices. He takes power and he gives it away. He gives it away. And then he says, go and do that, just as I have done it for you. And then he gives us this command. He says, it's basically like, if if you want to know it in a nutshell, guys, if you really want to grasp it, telling his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone or the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus doesn't leave it for question. He doesn't leave it for for speculation. If you want to know how we're supposed to be, it's that we're called to love in a way that reveals God to the world. We, if you said yes to Jesus, 
If you've been baptized, if you've made a commitment, if you show up to church, you have been called to live, you've been commanded to live in a way that reveals God's love to a broken world. His oneness is a cod to a broken world. Not to gossip, not to backbite, not to think ill of people, not to talk trash, not to, not to create, uh, set up relationships so you can suck out of them, but to use your power, use everything inside of you to give it away. You don't come into a group saying, what can I get? You go into a group saying, what can I give? That's the community we're talking about. And this is kind of the landing point. I just dream. I see this happening in our church. I see this type of love. This type of community is existing. It's real. It's heart, it has a heartbeat. You can touch it. We see it in our groups. We see it in our community groups. We see it on Sundays. We see this living personality of Christ in the body. And, and I just wonder, what would it look like to be this kind of community? The imagination I have is, are you, are you in to do this? Are you with me? I mean, could, could, we, could we do that? I mean, just imagine if, if some Christians, 12 of us, said, yeah, I'm taking this seriously. Let's go. 300 years from now, what would happen? What would happen? There's only half a million people in this city. What would happen if 20 of us took it seriously? 40, 100. We have over 200 on Sundays. Nearly 300. What if nearly 300 took it seriously? And they loved in a way that was patient, that was kind, that was gentle and protecting and, and trustful and trusting and hope. It would be full of hope and it would be full of perseverance. What if we, we loved in a way that was genuine or real or very practical? What if we loved in a way that wasn't theoretical? What if we loved in a way that didn't need a reason, that just simply loved? What if we loved in a way that showed up early and left late? A love that, that got their hands dirty. A love that, that, that bears all things. A love that brings flowers to the, to the mom with the newborn and brings soup to the person who's sick. A love that brings tears to a friend that just passed away. A love that, that, that has no demands or expectations but gives it away. A love that went the extra mile. A love that stood up for those that can't stand for themselves. A love that demonstrates, that proclaims. A love that, that, that provides for those that can't provide for themselves. A love that shares what little it has. A love that forgives and forgives and forgives and a love that apologizes and apologizes and apologizes every time it does wrong. A love that knows people's last names. A love that, 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 that knows the darkness of people and doesn't change a thing. A love that simply reveals God to the broken world. Could we become that type of community? Could you be that type of person? And if you, if you can or if you think there's a glimpse, well, you know the only way it's possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that's something that interests you, then this is the perfect place for you. This is what we want to be about. We want to be this kind of community. A kind of community that, that really tries to do this well. Isn't that, it's just exciting. It's fresh. It's, it's, let's, not take, let's not take the world. Let's reveal to the world. Let's just, let's just hold our hands up with welcoming and acceptance and generosity. Okay, so... <laughs> that's my little go get them speech. How do we do that? I think very practically um, is that everyone has to play. This isn't something for leadership. This is something for the whole body. We never wanted to be a church sitting community, a sitting in the pews, church, or white chairs. It's not about Sundays. It's about your life. And everyone has to buy in. 
everyone has to say, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. I don't know how to love a thing, but I'm up for the challenge. Some of us need to give up certain things in our lives so that we actually can participate in the life of a community. This idea of Acts 2, of being together regularly and, and participating, sharing and giving and eating. Some of us are so busy and we, we've given our calendar over to the busy God and we need to submit that calendar to Jesus and ask Him, what does it mean for us, for me to live life with people? To show people my, my true self and to, to be there on Friday nights, to, to grab a drink with somebody that's hurting, to, to, to call them up for coffee, to, to be just a redemptive presence. Some of us need to give up stuff. We need to give up commitments for the sake of community. Uh, the second thing is we need, to, we need to pray. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. And so this next year we're doing a lot of training in the Holy Spirit. We, um, we're going to do the Holy Spirit Conference again. We'll probably call it something else. Um, we are bringing John Peters over. Dallas Willard, I don't know if you know Dallas Willard. He's coming to our church in May, and he's going to talk about life in the Spirit. Um, we want to be teaching regular classes. We do this at Third Wednesday. We're, we have a prayer team that's passionate for prayer, that, want to, that, that have gifting. They, I mean, it's crazy. They'll pray for things, and it actually happens. Uh, people will be healed. People have words of knowledge and then just reveal stuff and, and healing happens and um, uh, money comes in and just things happen when we pray. And so we want to train uh, our whole community in becoming participants in the kingdom. Um, and lastly, it's just the final call is just this plays itself out in community groups. We don't do life groups. We don't do Bible studies. We don't do mission service projects. We do community groups. They're uh, mid-sized places where, where you practice and you, you practice discipleship by practicing values of mission, worship, and belong. It's where you're known. It's where you practice your gifts. It's where you know others. It's where you develop intimacy. That's the goal. And we want everyone in our church to be in those things. Because that's where real intimacy, real community, real discipleship takes place. This is a place where we gather and celebrate and we instruct. And, and um, that's a place where we participate on a, a, a wider basis. I just think, could we church the entire city? through community groups. What would that look like? So, pray with us, join a group, and love well this year. That's it. Sound good? Can you tell I'm excited about that? I hope so. I hope you hear Jesus' heart for the city. I, uh, can we do this? Can we just stand? We don't have much time. Let's just. I want to close in prayer. I'll have the worship team come up. and Not close, but let's just... I know it's, it's settling. Would you just close your eyes? This is what we do. If you're new, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is a God who is real and therefore we want to give Him as much permission to move and to have space to, to minister to us uniquely as a corporate body and as an individual. So um, I just invite you to close your eyes and just maybe ask the Holy Spirit, uh, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me, Lord? And what is he saying? Some of you, you're just like, I just want to hear his voice. Lord, would you speak to those people today? What's he saying? Just pray you speak, God. I think some of us have ministries waiting to be burst. 
waiting to just be realized. I think um, some of you, I want to pray for you. Some of you have definitely a ministry that was literally, when I was talking about risk, your heart was like, I need, I need to do something. If that's you, I want to just come and have, I want to pray for you. So would you just come forward? If that's you, we, we'll have our prayer team come and pray for you. But there's something about that, that kind of risk of ministry or a new adventure, but stepping out. And maybe it's with the guard, maybe it's outside. Would you just come forward real quick? I'm not going to prolong this. So if that's you, just come forward. Make some space. Just keep, you can stand and face the worship team and hold your hands out and just just invite God to, to minister to you. And if you're on your prayer on the prayer team, uh, would you just go right now and start praying? If you're one of our community group leaders and a leader, would you start praying for these guys? I just I think there's some other stuff too. So just remain where you are. What is this all about? We just recognize that sometimes God speaks specific things, and we don't we want to use every opportunity to bless people allow the Holy Spirit to minister. This isn't us doing anything. It's us allowing the Holy Spirit to come and bless our brothers and sisters. Can we get some other people to pray for Jordan? Thanks, man. Um, What's God saying to you? Seriously, what's He saying? Can you hear Him? It's so frustrating to me because you can easily make uh, teaching well, reading the Bible, praying a lot, uh, hanging out with people, discipleship, quote unquote, um, uh, meals with people. You can make that the, the, the scale of success in the Christian walk, you know what I'm saying? And, and serving at the community garden. But Jesus says, the way we love one another, that's it. And I'll just be completely frank I need to repent. I love selfishly. I love with an agenda. I love when I can get something out of it. And maybe you're like me. I just want to invite you guys to the cross. Um, there's communion elements. If you're with someone, would you just go with them and take communion together and just recognize all that Christ has done. And uh, bring your heart and just say, God, help me to become that type of person. So we'll just close in that. Um, we'll have these guys pray. I'll close in prayer in just a second. But would you guys just go take communion if that's for you? that right now there's there's communion elements to your right and some in the back let's just spend some time praying together and taking communion